0: Welcome to the shit show of my 20s. My name's Sophia. I'm a 20-year-old loan officer from California. I started this podcast back in April 2020. Got furloughed from my job for about three months. And during those three months, I was very honest with myself. I was like, we can either start emotionally eating, we can start suppressing these feelings of not feeling worthy because you've lost this thing that you attach so much of your identity to, or we can start that podcast that you've already been wanting to start. So I decided to go with that second option. And I'm so glad I did. I've interviewed over 130 people since then. It's been incredible. I've got to interview music artists and seven figure entrepreneurs and just all these incredible people with different stories and different ways of how they got to where they are and just hearing about their journey, hearing about their shit show moments because we all have shit show moments and just learning how to navigate them better and learning how to learn from them and take them and create something magical out of them. And I'm so glad that I get to interview all these incredible people And I am such a big believer that you can radically change your life in a year. You can just radically change your circumstances, where you're at. And I remember being 19 and just trying to get a job and applying to like, I was applying to Ross and like a smoothie bar and like all these places wouldn't take me and I was like so offended. I was like, why is no one taking me? And then I finally passed my NMLS test and then I got a job with a major mortgage company and I was like, oh, that's why they didn't take me because I was meant to go down and get this job instead of that job. And I went from being 19 with $0 in my bank account and just being so stressed about money and so stressed about like, is it going to come into my life? Do I, what am I going to do about this? To being 20 year old with over 60 grand in savings. And I think one of the big changes I made between those two was even when I had zero in the savings account, I still believed that I was abundant. I still believed that money was going to flow into my life. I still believed in something that I couldn't see at the time because I knew it was just a matter of time before it was going to come. So I'm such a huge believer and you can radically change your scenario. You can step into that next version of you and that next version of you, that higher self version of you, she's not that far away as you think. I think she's just, there's just garbage in the way. And it's just undercovering that garbage that's in the way of you getting to her and just stepping into that and the next version of you with the next level of results. It's something I'm super passionate about. And I hope from this podcast that you get to hear these stories and relate with these people and just relate with like, not necessarily like just reconnecting to that path of what you want. To do reconnecting to that higher version of you and what you wanted to be when you were younger, and what lights you up and what brings you joy. So, I'm so excited for you guys to hear these episodes. I would love to connect with you on Instagram. My Instagram's the Shit Show of My Twenties. DM me, I love to have a conversation. And feel free to share this with someone you know will love it. And you can also leave a review on iTunes, I would love that. Today's guest is Jo. I'm so excited for you guys to hear this interview. Jo is so much fun to talk to. Jo is a mother and entrepreneur. She serves as a mentor to young entrepreneurs and also helps teenagers who have lost a parent. When she was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2019, everything changed for her. And she knew that her purpose was to help other women facing this challenge. She is the author of the book, The Waiting Room. We go into so many incredible things in this interview from what she learned from cancer. We go into the foundation of our 20s. If we could build a solid foundation in our 20s, how it will affect the rest of our years and our lives. We go into creating boundaries, leaving a 23-year marriage, and so much more. So excited for you guys to hear this episode. Let's get started. So thank you so much, Joe, for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to getting to know you. Love to start. Tell me about your 20s. Feel free to include any shit show moments we might resonate with. Let's start there.
1: (laughs) Oh my God. That's right. Well, I'm so happy to be here and I'm so happy to be chatting with you. I love the work that you're doing. It's so fun and relevant. And I appreciate that you're even interested in my 20s. Oh yeah. Yeah. In my twenties, we go back. There are a lot of things in my twenties that I don't remember because I, we, I, I had some fun in my, especially in my early twenties. I love to go to a club, love it and any sort of club. And back in the nineties, when I was in my twenties, in my, in the early nineties, that was just what we would do. And It was fun. I was in college in Boston and we would go out Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday. I mean, it was just what we would do. And I don't know how I did that because I was really poor, but at the same time, I made it work. I don't know. We would all share clothes, like my friends and I get dressed up and and just maybe it's the Greek in me and going to Greece so much as I was growing up you know i just i love the nightlife and i love dancing and i love the music and that hasn't gone away since my 20s by the way so (laughs) i love it i although obviously i don't go out that way anymore it's like riding a bike i had a corporate job in my 20s for pretty much all of my 20s i was in sales and sales management and i loved it because it was a lot of people my age and Uh, maybe a little bit older as well. And our work day would roll into going out after work. So I don't know if you can guess the consistent theme here, but I really love, you know, socializing. I love going out. I, I don't know. I just had so much fun. And then around 24, yeah, like maybe about when I was about to turn, yeah, like about 24, 25 years old, maybe 25. Actually, I was, at, I was about to turn 25. I, you know, self-retired. I was like, okay, I'm done with this. I don't feel like going out to party anymore that way. So I'm just gonna stay home. And although I, you know, was doing really well at work, it was just like a, a race, like, you know, going out, coming home late, getting up, being at the office really early. You know, I would, I guess I would describe myself as an overachiever in everything I did, including going out. I had really big heartbreaks in my twenties. I had the, I had a boyfriend that broke up with me and shattered and broke my heart into a gazillion pieces. And I thought I would never survive. I did. And I think that it made me really aware of what I didn't want. After he broke up with me, I went and found the complete opposite of what was him. And I ended up getting married very young in my... Well, which would now be considered very young. But back then, 25, I don't think, was very young. And I ended up meeting my husband, my ex-husband, when I was about to turn 25. Or maybe I had just turned 25. I think I had just turned 25 and I met him a week later. And he was the opposite of who I had been with before. It was the polar opposite. And I fell head over heels in love. And I, we got married very, very quickly. We got engaged within 34 days of meeting each other. And we spent pretty much every single day together and got married that following October. So we met in December, we met December 26th, just a week after I had turned 25. And before I had turned 26, we were already married and we didn't have kids for a while because I didn't have my first child until I was 29 years old. But it was this kind of whirlwind, not kind of, it was a complete whirlwind, knock me off my feet romance that I was so captivated by. Looking back, there were some very obvious signs that I, I saw. It's not that I didn't see them, but I really wanted to make it work. And I'm a person that has been described by one of my well, one of my closest friends as when when life gives me a shit sandwich, I make it caviar. Okay, and I, I should I by no means am making that comparison, but there were some really shitty moments in even the courtship and the engagement that I was like, well, I can work with that. I can work with that, and I did work with it, and I ended up staying married for. Are staying with him for 23 years, you know, married for 22 years. Let's do the math. So I got married in 1998, and what is it now? It's 2021. Yeah. I miss like 2020 was like a year that just didn't like. The, it doesn't even go into the math equation, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I got married when I was yeah 25, and now I am you know dear I was 20 three years later. Yeah. So a long time. And all of those things that I saw in the courtship or early on in the marriage, those things never went away. And they only got amplified as the life got more complicated. Because I'll often say, Sophia, that your life will never really be as simple as it is today. I believe that. And I believe that You know, in your 20s, as you're trying to figure things out and laying the foundation for what kind of adulthood you want to have, it's really interesting to think about how busy you feel today and how, you know, sometimes overwhelmed or things like that. And I look back in my 20s and I'm like, what was I doing all those hours? I mean, clearly I've stated that I went out a lot. I loved it. I am an introverted extrovert. So I love my quiet downtime, but I also love being out. And so in my 20s, those two things were just really extreme. Like I would, you know, kind of take a pause, but then I could go for a long amount of time. And then when I got married, the person that I had married was the complete polar opposite of me. You know, very much a homebody, very, very quiet. And we were complete opposites and have remained complete opposites. And I thought, well, this is good because he'll balance me out. Because what if I am with somebody that is so similar to me? Like, would we ever sleep? I don't know. (laughs) So, But it had just so many challenges. I mean, just so many challenges from the get-go that I completely overlooked.
0: And is there anything you would have done differently in the relationships in your 20s it could be friendships and it could be romantic but anything that you notice now that you wish you could bring brought in from your relationships now into your relationships then
1: yeah boundaries that is the simple it's a very simple answer but it's very hard to do it's very easy to say but executing it we don't always stick to it because i me, I can't speak for everybody, but I'm going to just put it out there. We all want to be liked in, in some capacity, I would assume. And I am a people pleaser by nature. I want to make the right decisions in quotations and quotations and, you know, really want people to like me. And I really, that was really important to me in my 20s. And it's not as important to me now at all. I you lose. I shed a lot of inhibitions um, just having gone through so much more life. But I really wanted to be liked and really wanted to do the right thing, which I don't even know what that means anymore. But I grew up in a very Greek uh, uh, immigrant household situation, and with that, with that comes a lot of cultural built-ins, a lot of obligation, a lot of this is how we do it. We show up for XYZ. You go to things that you go to everything you're invited to. You show up with a good attitude. And I remember it wasn't until like my late thirties that I was like, yeah, I don't want to go to that. And I'm I'm okay not going to that. And I am a person who really doesn't have FOMO and I I haven't had FOMO. Even in my 20s, I didn't have FOMO. I don't know, maybe I'm missing a chip or something. But I just went to a lot of stuff that I didn't really want to go to. And I always now ask myself, am I doing it out of obligation because of the way I was initially like trained and raised? It's like, yep. Or am I doing it because I want to do it? And I always go back to my why. And I didn't ask myself in my 20s, why I was doing stuff. I was programmed from my upbringing. I was programmed from my need to please. I was programmed from how people would perceive me on the outside. It was always really important to me how people saw me. And I think the reason why it was so important to me was because I was hiding so much angst inside. I wasn't good with myself. I knew almost right away that my marriage was, something wasn't right. I knew I had a really challenging relationship with my mom, especially in my twenties. And I knew I felt disjointed and I would try to always show that everything was okay. Cause that's how I would get through things. And that only got more intense as I got older. And now when everything kind of falls apart and you just decide, that you just don't want to, I just decided, I just didn't want to play the game anymore. Like it was almost like, I'm, oh, okay, like picture it like, okay, I'm taking myself out of the game. And I'm going to really just really follow my gut from now on. And I'm going to disappoint some people. I was really afraid to disappoint people in my 20s. And I wish, and that's not necessarily anybody's fault or doing, but my own. I, I am the person that set these standards for myself. I've been independent for a very long time, not unlike yourself, you know, like you're, I've always kind of had that intra-entrepreneurial mindset and brain. And I would kind of create these stories in my head of if I do this, this, and this, then these people might get disappointed. And I don't know that they ever really would have cared. I think I just made the story bigger than it was. And I don't do that anymore. Mm. In my 30s, I think I really wrestled with that. Like I would over-explain myself a lot. And now I just really don't explain myself. (laughs) It's like one of those things that comes, it's like a privilege that comes with age. But I also wish I had some of that, like a nice big dose of that in my 20s. Because I think about all of the stuff and all of the time that I could have gotten back. I would perseverate on things that didn't matter. I guess that's what it is. You got to figure out really what matters to you and be unapologetic about it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know I mean I'm definitely raising my daughters that way as much as I can, but we are still I think by nature just programmed in, in society to try to please. And we I end up I ended up not pleasing myself. And then when you can't please yourself, then nobody else is really being pleased because it's not full, it's not real, it's not authentic. So I would go through the motions and do the things, but I never really wanted to do them, a lot of them. And I understand there's there's things that you have to do and there's things that, you know, that are obligated, you know, like you gotta get up and feed your kids if you have kids and you're 20 or whatever it is, or you gotta show up to work and you gotta do those. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about people imposing their own things on you and how they see you versus how you really want to see yourself. And I remember when you and I had first had a conversation, you said to me that you didn't think it would be authentic for you to go to college right now because you would be doing it for other people. Mm -hmm. And I just paused. I remember I was in the car driving and I thought this girl is going to be okay no matter what she does. That is such a bold and beautiful and amazing way to be at your age and I certainly was not that I am that way now but I wish I was I wish I had a nice dose of this then
0: mm. I'd love to go back to you you know your' raised thinking you have to show up to every event. You have to go to everything. You're not allowed to say, no, that's rude. <laughs> like You were raised yeah. that certain way. What was it like for you to break that and say like, no, I just don't feel like going to this event. So I'm not yeah. going to go to it. And kind of like opening up those conversations of like, how was that whole process for you?
1: Yeah. So I'll tell you, I'll, I can tell you a snippet and, and about how that process was. It was really hard, but I remember having a conversation with my Mother, and this was years ago. So let's say it was like seven or eight years ago. Okay. And I remember having a conversation with my mother and saying to her, by the way, this weekend, I'm not coming. My family and I are not coming to X. And it was, um, it was a memorial, actually. I remember exactly what it was. It was a memorial service for a dear family friend of ours, the mom of kids I grew up with. And I, Had so much going on in not other things that I wanted to do, but so much going on. I was in such a, I was having such a hard time in my relationship and keeping my family together. My two daughters and my marriage that I just didn't have the capacity that weekend to do it. And I didn't explain it that way because I'm sure if I had explained it that way to my mother, then she would have been like, okay, honey, you do what you need to do. But instead, I said, well, I'm not going because, you know, it wouldn't bother me if they didn't come, if it were if it were me. And people just need to understand that I started to make all of this over explaining excuses kind of thing to defend why I wasn't going, where I really wouldn't share why the heart of my why I wasn't going really was. And. My mom uh, said to me something very hurtful at the time. And she said, you really don't care about anybody else, do you? And I thought to myself, well, she really doesn't see me. All I do is care about other people. So much so that I'm in this marriage that is so dysfunctional and unhappy. And I'm trying to keep it all together for myself, for the girls and and, and ultimately for him. And I was in so much pain that I couldn't. I couldn't do everything anymore. So what I did was I started to make these kind of bold, and I know it doesn't sound like a big deal, but culturally for us, it's a very big deal for, and especially in my family. So after that, I was okay with my mom saying that to me because I knew it wasn't true. And I I remember thinking at that moment, just because somebody says something doesn't make it true. I know the truth and I have to be okay with how I feel and I have to do what's best for me and my family right now. And that might include not going to things. And it was just a hard transition, but the more I did it, the easier it became. And that was kind of the start of my self emancipation, I would say, like breaking through and you can still be a very fabulous Greek girl, but meld the traditions into the modern day and what was going on in my own family and in my home that I wasn't ready to share at the time. And for someone
0: who's like feeling like, the need that they have to go to everything and we kind of want to start to bring up this conversations with others about how they can't go to everything, how they kind of need to take a step back. What's like a good way to start to have those conversations with family members, with extended family? Like, what's a good way to bring that up?
1: Yeah, I think it's a case by case. Listen, everybody knows their own family and their dynamic really well. And you have to be okay with the outcome before it even happens. So I think a good way to start is taking a look at how you really want to spend your time. And if there's something that you're doing really just to bring happiness to somebody else, that's completely fine if it doesn't make you miserable. Okay. So a good way to start having those conversations is to just simply go to the person that you feel is going to have your back the most. That's going to give you the least amount of resistance and start there and say, Hey, I'm thinking of, Oh, imaginary scenario. I'm thinking of, you know, taking a little break right now because I'm so overwhelmed with work and my life and everything else. And I'm just kind of reprioritizing. And it doesn't mean I don't love you. I love you the same, whether I show up or not, but there's only so much that I have to give right now. And I don't know that is how I can spend my time at the moment. I don't think that that's permanent. Maybe it will evolve. I mean, that's how I would start it or just simply, I wouldn't make an excuse. That's the thing. I wouldn't lie about not wanting to go because the invitation will keep coming. You also have to be okay with people not coming to your stuff. Okay. It's just about how you want to spend your time because time is, I always say, I mean, Love and time are the two things you can't buy. You just can't buy them. It doesn't matter how rich you are. It doesn't matter how much you're willing to spend. You can't buy them. So really focusing on how you spend your time, especially in your 20s, I think is really a great foundation on how you spend the rest of your life because your 20s are your first decade where you're, for most people, not legally obligated to be in school, right? You're not... You're really making, in most cases, the decisions that you want to make for the first time in your life. The government is not saying you need to go to school, right? Beyond 18 years old. You can choose to work in most cases, however you, wherever and however you want. And the habits that you develop there, which is why I do what I do. And I share this advice with the 20 somethings, I think will lay The foundation of how you handle things going forward much easier. So it's almost like training people, right? So if you train people that you're going to do whatever they want you to do in your 20s, they're going to expect that forever. So if your life gets more complicated and it gets busier in your 30s, okay, but you, those people are still going to expect the same things. So I think it's really important to just set your boundaries in your 20s, With what works for you. And I say this as a person who thinks family is the most important thing and friendships are the, and relationships are the most important thing. I'm not saying go, you know, rogue and, you know, just, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying ask yourself why you're showing up for something. If you are happy going to everything and that's what fills you up and that's where you want to be, then yeah, be there. But if you are miserable and resentful doing something out of obligation, you need to ask why. You need to stop yourself. You need to take inventory of how you spend your time. And you need to understand that relationships that are that are meant for you will always survive you not showing up to something. And so, those that are not, well, okay.
0: I love how you keep mentioning foundation of your 20s. Mm-hmm. And what I would love you for you to go like deeper into that, like boundaries, relationships. What else, when you see the foundation of your twenties, what else do you see?
1: I see my own foundation you're asking or the foundation that, that I am helping people build. Like build. Could be there two
0: different one. <laughs> yeah. one. Okay. We'll start
1: with mine. So the foundation of my twenties, although I was always outwardly outspoken and I appeared confident and I was confident in my work and I, had success very young and I was able to grow in my career and all of those things, I always didn't feel worthy. So my self-worth, I would say, if you can close your eyes, right, and visualize building a beautiful house, okay? You've got to dig a very, very, very deep, you know, hole towards the core of the center center of the earth and then you need to pour really great strong materials down first and you need to give it some time to settle and then you can start building the floors of your house and i see the 20s is that is is your hole has been dug so far right Mm -hmm. and now you need to think about the materials you're going to use to pour that that foundation that is going to be the strength to carry you through the rest of your life. And that means the, the house that you can build can be small to begin with, and then you can add on to it. You can make it higher, you can make it simple, you can renovate it. There's a million things you can do to that house. But if that foundation is strong and it's solid and it's built with love, then you can go anywhere in that house that house will always work okay and my foundation in my 20s was shaky I had grown up in a uh interesting I had an interesting childhood my dad was very very sick for most of my life and ended up dying when I was 16 so I think that that's the age of my it's the heart it was the hardest age to parent both of my daughters I'll tell you because that's when my initial trauma happened right so I think that I know, not I think. I know that my my foundation in my 20s was built without having all of the elements that I wanted to put that I that I wish I could have put in that mix. So that's why right now I am so focused and hyper focused on saying what are the ingredients you need Sophie? What are the ingredients you know my daughters need? What are the ingredients that all the 20-somethings need because your foundation is so important. It doesn't even matter if your house is perfect. It doesn't matter how it looks. It doesn't matter how beautiful the flowers are. That stuff will come and go. It will come and go. It will change with the seasons. I've had, you know, huge earning years and I've had years where I've had losses. I've had, you know, relationships. I've had breakups. I've had highs. I've had lows. I've had health. I've had cancer. I've had it all of that. But if the the foundation in my 20s, I believe, was built on the knowledge that I have today, I think that a lot of those things probably wouldn't have even happened. My experiences through those things would have been better. I think things are going to come your way no matter what. But if the foundation is strong, you can weather it much easier. And so boundaries. I talk about boundaries all the time. If you're a person that people are so used to, you responding right away. Okay. So let's start in your twenties. You're constantly, you guys are constantly un, almost accessible. I notice that when I communicate with you personally and you and I have like this very natural back and forth exchange and like a little, you know, a, I think like a sweet Instagram relationship, right? Yeah. You always reply back right away. I always also reply back right away. So I'm like, oh, it takes one to know one. That serves me really well in business. I'm sure it serves you really well in business too. But I also have set it up that if someone texts me and they don't hear back from me in like an hour, it is literally like send out the National Guard. Okay. 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 And then I have to explain like why I don't want to talk. And I have like, I, I always say, I, I always reference this like line in one of my favorite Kanye West songs where I've been talking to God for so long. He's, you know, finally talking back with my click. And I'm paraphrasing Kanye, so don't sue me. But I I I believe that to be true in every cell of my body. I think that I have the most incredible friends in the entire world. However, that being said, I, if I, if there's somebody who doesn't hear back from me, I can see that the other one will call text and be like, "Yo, They're always checking in on me because I am going through a very hard time right now. I'm in the middle of a divorce. I, you know, have two teenage, I have two daughters that one has just applied to college. One is applying. I'm a single mom, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I've you know, I'm an entrepreneur, I've launched a new business, all of that. So if people don't hear from me, it's like literally, oh my, oh my God. So going back to your foundational question, I, I set people up like that. Okay. And I think in my twenties, if I could pick and choose, if I could have managed that expectation better. So it's about managing expectations and training kind of the people in your life and your relationships to know what to expect from you and I think in your 20s that's a great way to lay the groundwork in a you know respectful way in a professional way and I think that boundaries are really huge all the time I'm an all-in person as you could probably gauge from just our first our very first exchange on on Instagram or like our DMs I I love people and I truly believe that my entire purpose on this planet is to help people and connect people. Well, that being said, I respond, I reply, I engage. I, I love that. But at the same time there have to be boundaries because there's only one me and I wear a lot of hats. And so I think foundationally some of the ingredients I would put in that Cement that we're pouring in the foundation are boundaries. And just because you decide something now, doesn't mean that you have to believe it forever. It's what works for you right now, right? So your boundaries that are right now, your accessibility, how people can reach you all the time. And especially in an age where pretty much every human on the planet in their twenties is living on some sort of social media platform, that accessibility is exhausting. I really don't know how you guys do it. I don't know how you do it, okay. And I, you don't know what the downfall will be of that going forward, okay. So setting boundaries and expectations around that. One of the things I would pour in your foundation right now, which is a radical thing, is you take a a set amount of time every single day, three hundred and sixty-five days a year, and you put all your technology away and you do something completely technology-free, which I, you know, daydream. I, t- I teach people all the time out of daydream, right? Where you close, you shut everything down. You don't even need to go for a walk. It, it doesn't even matter where you go, but even just take some time and daydream about yourself. Daydream about the future. I often worry, because everybody's on all the time, that all of the inventions that we use today that people have come up with, What if they were always watching, you know, on their computers? What if they were always on social media? Would they have even invented that? Okay, so shut everything down. Start with 15 minutes. Start with 15 minutes every day. And you don't need any money to do this. Everybody can do this across every sort of social socioeconomic platform where they can take 15 minutes and it can be at any time of the day and schedule it like it's a meeting and it's a meeting with your mind and your hopes and your heart and your dreams and picture yourself a year from now okay and what are you wearing what are you doing what are you eating who are you talking to what music how does that feel okay and start daydreaming about yourself Take yourself out of your current reality and other people's reality, which companies are spending a lot of time marketing to get you hooked. And I know about you, but like when I scroll on my feed, I'm like, Oh, I could stay there for hours. It's fascinating to watch, but take 15 minutes and pour that into your foundation. Another, another huge recipe, another huge not, not recipe, what, um, ingredient is real self-love. Okay. To start to really love yourself just as you are in that moment to forgive yourself, to let things go that you've done. Don't replay the story, learn the lesson and move forward. Let shit go. Okay. And, you know, really deciding in my, in your twenties, as you're pouring this foundation, do you want to be right all the time? Or do you want to be happy? Because sometimes those things do not line up more often than not, okay? And I was so hell-bent on being right all the time that I would like, you know, and I'm not saying be a doormat. I'm saying the opposite of that. Give yourself the freedom to say, I don't really understand it right now. And I'm not here to figure it out. And I'm not here to solve the problem. If it's something that's not life-altering or really just... Really, so important, let it go and take inventory of what's important. So, start with those ingredients and mix that into your foundation and build it into the small stuff, okay? Into the small stuff that you're doing. For example, you go to Starbucks, right? And Mm -hmm. you get pissed off because they, you know, they don't, you know, they're not, maybe they're not that nice to you. I love Starbucks, by the way, like, disclaimer, I love Starbucks, but Let's say, you know, you're getting somebody who's having like a bad day and they take your order and then they screw up your coffee and then, you know, you spill it and you get pissed off and you go back and you complain and the manager just doesn't do the right thing, okay? We know you're right. Okay, you're right. You won the I Am Right Award. Congratulations. But is that going to change that all of that happened? No. Is it going to rewind the time? So you're striving maybe for that satisfaction of, you know, being right. Maybe you just file it in a, you know, I don't understand it. Something that happened to me. I'm going to, I didn't have to love it, but I'm going to accept that it happened and I'm going to let it go and I'm going to move on and my day will improve. Okay. In situations like that, I think I spent a lot of time. Not, I think I definitely spent a lot of time, which you're, I never, you're never going to get it back. No one tells you this and in your 20s you think you have all the time in the world right and Mm -hmm. you're like you know netflix and, and and chill right so you can watch like seven or eight hours of tv in a row which i love to do too but you don't get your time back so think about when you're spending that time trying to prove you're right when it's not like really gonna change the outcome at all i I think that that's a really important thing to keep in mind in a lesson going forward. Like think to myself, like think to yourself, okay, I know I'm right. If you know you're right, sometimes that's, not sometimes, every time that's enough. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think that that's one very liberating way to think about it. And sometimes we spend a lot of time trying to convince the other person that's never gonna change their mind. You know, you got to know who your audience. Okay. Are you spinning? Are you, are you just aggravating yourself? And that person is, it's like you're feeding this. I listen to a lot of Eckhart Tolle. Do you know who he is? Yeah. Okay. I love Eckhart. I'm like an Eckhart girl. Like I remember seeing him. I went out to, um, with a dear friend of mine to California to hear him speak in Pasadena once and it's like when he came out on stage, it was like the biggest rock star in the world. And there's this like gentle man and he's just sitting there with his glass of water and a plant, you know, and it's just the most epic thing you could listen to. But anyway, so I I remember Eckhart saying, like, you know, if they knew better, they would do better. Okay. And, you know, feeding that kind of pain body that he talks about. And I think a lot of times, now, I think I know a lot of times in my 20s, there was always that, like, I would get that rush of the from the argument, or that 30 second victory of being right, or yes, or proving my point. And now I don't really care. I, I'm okay with not being everybody's flavor. I'm okay with, you know, I'm right, I'm wrong. I just know that I come from a good place. I, I think that That's the the purity of the, if your heart is pure and your intentions are good, that's really, that's, and then you back it with action. Of course, you're going to make mistakes. Of course, you're going to be right. Of course, you're going to be wrong. And, And sometimes there's something in between that we don't even know, but really just not trying to change the other person. I spent a lot of time. I spent my whole marriage, you know not trying to change him. I didn't really want to change him. I was just trying to be married, I think. And I don't think, not I don't think, it just wasn't a good match from the very beginning.
0: Is there anything that happened or anything that really helped you through, you know, leaving that relationship and anything helped you with that process?
1: Yeah. um, The cancer really helped me. I had had cancer in November of 2019 and my marriage, we separated in the beginning of June of 2020. And I think a lot of people just, when they assumed like, you know, like everybody got a puppy in the pandemic, it was like, oh, people are also getting divorced. It really had nothing to do with the pandemic at all. I knew during my journey with cancer that, something that, that that this just was not, It's it was just never going to work. When I was in my lowest moments, there was just no emotional connection. And I knew I had to get through the cancer. I obviously, not obviously, I don't know if it's obvious to anybody, but I prayed for a different outcome in my relationship, but it became very, very apparent and very obvious But I was in it for so long that I almost couldn't recognize it myself. And it was my daughters, interestingly enough, that gave me the courage to make the decision. They both came to me unprompted and said, I've never shared this before, actually. So here it is like breaking news, I guess. My daughters came to me and they said, Mom, we are really worried about you and we want you to be happy and we don't think you can be happy in a relationship with dad and we're off to college soon and we really think that it's time for you to move on." And it was the hardest thing I had ever heard. It was harder than the, you have breast cancer call. It was harder than, it it was just, it was really hard to hear it. Mostly because I knew it was true and there was no more hiding. And. The cancer was a great revealer of the truth because I had spent so many years formulating this image and keeping it all together and keeping the family and the appearance. And I was in a marriage by myself for 99% of the marriage. And when I had to step back and, and heal from cancer and put myself first, I think it became very obvious. It obviously became obvious to my two daughters, but it became obvious to other people that were very close to me what the reality that I was actually, that we were actually living as a family was. And I say this and I still, my ex-husband and I are soon to be ex-husband don't have a contentious relationship. I really believe this with every cell of my body that I want the best for him. And I believe that ultimately he wants the best for me too. But what had helped me was all the things I had learned going through my health crisis. And that's not to say, Sophie, that there are not moments where I cannot even face the day. There it is so incredibly painful to go through a divorce and it doesn't matter that I know it doesn't it, it it no longer there was no there was nothing there. It's still this separation of of my soul. it, it, it is just so interesting is my soul was so in it. So the 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 logistical things are one part of it. and that's I think what people tend to focus on and you know, what is going to be the financial outcome, What does the lawyer say? what is this? And those are challenging in itself, you know, in themselves. However, there's this disconnectedness that I feel that no one really can help me through other than, you know, time. Here we go back to, I think this is the theme of the podcast is, is time, right? Is the most, the only non-renewable resource that we have. Once it's gone, it's just gone, right? And you can't regenerate it. And I really take inventory of my time and how long I spend, and giving myself the grace to really not be okay. Because there are a lot of times that I'm not okay. And I think that, you know, what motivated me to write my book when I was going through cancer and to, to help others is whatever, is when I feel at my lowest moments, the only thing that brings me joy. And I can say this and yeah, I'm just going to be very, very honest because it's not my kids. It's not hanging out with my friends. It's not my dog. It's not, you know, buying something. It's not going on a trip. Those things feel temporarily good. They're almost like lipstick. Okay. Like will make you look okay on the outside. And I'm not saying that my relationships with my friends are lipstick. I'm saying when I am not down, when I am so down and out, even those things, that's how they seem to me. They seem to me as simple as lipstick. Like that's going to make me feel better right now in the moment, but it's not going to solve the pain that I have inside. The only thing that shifts me and gets me moving is to help somebody else. That's it. That's, that's, that's it. And it works every time. And, and, and maybe that's because I step out of my own pain for a moment, but I almost, if I close my eyes, I picture it like I'm lying on the ground, okay, and there's a person in a well, and I'm like down and out, right? I'm just down and out, and somebody's in a ditch next to me, so they're even deeper than I am, and I just reach my hand and I pull them up, and we're both on the and and that's and then I feel like okay, there's some momentum there, and it builds and it builds. Like I I think that a great poor a great example of of this was I. speak to a weekly group of 20-somethings, not weekly, monthly. I speak to a a group of 20-something professional women that I mentor in research for my next book. And no matter what's going on in my day, no matter if I don't feel like getting out of bed, which by the way, even when I don't, I still get my shit together and I get out of bed, but it's not always pretty, but I do it. And I know that when I'm gonna give one of those have one of those sessions with them where we come together on zoom and I answer the questions that they have to help them get through their twenties in a better way and healthy resilience or modern mindfulness, I guess like it's it's great to be mindful, but you have to, we all want to be mindful, but how do you do it in your twenties and still be in your twenties? Right? So giving these, having these conversations, with they call them the they call themselves which i love the OG squad i i come it's like i come alive in a different way and a great example is when you're running a, a race and you're running a marathon and you are you're fatigued let's say at mile 20 right you're fatigued you're exhausted and you look at the person next to you and they're exhausted too The person that's crossed the finish line who's done it a bunch of times is there cheering you on and, and getting you through and giving you tips and helping you get through. That's how I see myself to all of you. Okay. Is I'm not, I've, I've been where you are. I've been where you are. So I, I know I can help you. Not, I think I can help you. I know I can. And from this perspective of across the finish line in that decade, at least, or in the decade of your 30s, even, is fine. I can't help women that are my age right now. I just can't. I can, you know, listen. I can say, hey, I this is what I've tried. I don't know if it's going to work, but I know what I say to you, to the other women. To I know it's going to work. I know it's going to work. So, cause it's already been tried and true and tested. So I find that that space, to be in that space always brings me some joy, even in my darkest moments. And I don't know, I I don't know if there's some like psychotic thing wrong with me that I can't find joy in like the simpler things that I need to like kind of go all in and do that. I don't know, I don't know, TBD.
0: I love the last time we talked, you spoke about how cancer kind of split you open. And do you think we need to have like some event or something happen, like a heart event or have like some sort of moment in order to unlock these lessons? Or do you think there's another way to unlock all these lessons without going through something, you know, like a health crisis or something sort of like that?
1: Yes, I think that that's an incredible question. You do not need to wait for some life altering, near death situation or some sort of sadness to make these changes. And that is what drives me. It's like, don't wait for something to happen. Don't continue on this road because then something will inevitably happen this way. And I'm not saying I can predict when it's going to happen or not because no one knows. No one knows. We, none of us have control of that. All we can control is our own reaction to things and i think because my i not i think i know because my reactions were so intense and so extreme and i was so not nice to myself just not nice to myself really okay that that build up and build up and build up and the body warned me a lot of times and you think you're invincible you think you're invincible and then you're not right and i say why Do we need to wait for something that sucks so incredibly bad to make it good? Make it good now. It's something you can do today. You know, Deepak says all the time, you make an unchangeable decision for which it is impossible to go back. I live my life that way now with good things, okay? Like if I just let something go and it creeps up again, that, there's no need there's no need. I already decided that I was going to let it go. It's going to rear its ugly head a bunch of times to test you. Okay. And that's what I've learned. You keep getting the same lessons over and over until you learn them. So uh, what's ends up maybe at, as breast cancer at 47 years old, maybe showed up, not maybe definitely showed up a bunch of times before that as other things. And I I still fought, I resisted, I didn't, you know, and I kept, and and it's not like, okay, this was meant to to punish me or anything like that. I don't believe that. I don't wish it on anybody. It was the hardest, it's so hard, it's so hard, but it is my greatest teacher, which I think has made me a great teacher in that sense. So you don't need to wait to get cancer. Learn, learn, learn the lessons without, the shock value, okay? And I think a lot of times we're conditioned to have this like big event or some life-altering moment, or it's like I'm at the depths and then I could turn around. And I'm here to tell you, it doesn't need to be like that and how beautiful for it to not be like that. If you just empower yourself enough to wake up one day and just say, I'm gonna be nice to myself today and for the rest of my life, every single day. For the rest of my life, while I'm alive, I am going to be really nice to myself because there is nobody as important to myself than myself. Okay? And I'm going to put myself first. I'm still gonna be kind. I'm still gonna be humble. i still be all those things that I wanna be. Okay? Because putting yourself first doesn't necessarily mean, not necessarily, it doesn't mean you're selfish. It means you're breathing. And what if I do that now? for every day, for the rest of my life. And I just chose to live that way now without something bad happening to me, without having some big ah, maybe this is your aha moment for whoever's listening. Like take it and be like, this is my aha moment. Why wait for something worse to happen so you have more to fix? Fix your stuff now, lay your foundation, get yourself as strong in the roots as you can. And then- you will have an easier, more beautiful, more enriching, healthier life all around and just like more fun. Who doesn't want to have more fun?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I would love for you to go into your book. And if there's
1: anyone specifically that you hope reads your book. Okay. Um, Well, that's a sweet question. Thank you. My book is a snapshot of, it takes you from the time you get diagnosed, the time of The cancer diagnosis from the phone call to the operating table. And during that time, it was 10 weeks. And much like we just talked about, I just talked about a little earlier, I was having a really hard time, obviously, having been diagnosed with breast cancer. I was asked by a friend to help one of her friends who had just been diagnosed just three weeks behind me. And I'm thinking to myself, is she nuts? I can barely help myself. How am I going to help somebody else? But I realized that, you know, God, the universe, whatever you want to, whatever you want, the word is for anybody who's listening. For me, it's God. God had put this person in my path for a reason. So in, I took back my initial response and I said, sure, I'll talk to her. And I called her, she was just three weeks behind me. And what I had learned later, much later on is that there is, it's very rare that there are two cancers that are almost identical and ours were okay. And so in order to help her, I knew I had to help myself first. And just like I said, to you, I had to try the stuff on myself see if it works. And then I would share it with her. So I became this, I kind of like biohacked myself and like emotionally and in every aspect with food, with, you know, vitamins, with emotion. But it was really about if I could not align myself, I was splintered. If I, my inside couldn't match, like if I couldn't come into myself and be a whole person that my surgeons, even though they are the most world renowned and best doctors on the planet for this, they didn't have a shot. And so I set forth on a journey to find the best way to go through something really bad like this and the tools that I needed. And I started to share them with her and they worked. And she wrote me, they worked for me, they worked for her. Uh, The book is like a friend holding your hand through this hard time. And it's for anybody who knows anybody going through a diagnosis. It'll help you be a better friend. It'll help anybody who's going through a hard time. It doesn't have to be a diagnosis. It's marketed that way because my mission uh was that every single woman, and I will make make sure that this happened, every single woman that or man that needs this book will will be able to have it. And I've been very lucky that, you know, incredible foundations and donors and myself had donated a lot of these books to well, they started to at Mass General Hospital, but I I pray that that will continue to happen. I think this book is for any woman or man, but primarily any woman who's going through a hard time. And the reason I wrote it was because the woman I was helping, whose name is Tanya, came to me the day before her surgery. She had a letter for me. She had mailed me a letter and she said, you need to write this down and she need to share it with other people because this got me off my knees. And I know it got me off her knees, because it got me off my knees, but she, you know, nudged me to do it. And it was my ex-husband actually that said to me, you know, you've always enjoyed writing. You're a great writer. Why don't you do this? And I just, with again, the help of my daughters and their support and primarily my oldest daughter who said to me, mom, you need to really be honest in your book. I hope your book is honest. And I'm like, well, why wouldn't my book be honest? I'm always honest. And she said to me, I hear you crying every night in your bathroom. And so I ripped up everything that I had written, and I just opened up and I just wrote, and I wrote fifty thousand words, just I just poured it out there. It's a very raw book. It's very real. It's very authentic. And then when we went into quarantine, I had kind of an epiphany one morning, and I sat and I wrote, I think for ten hours in a row, and I wrote this twenty-eight page document that I sent to my editor, my publisher, and I said these are now the tools that go with the story because a memoir is just a memoir. And there's, you know, everybody's got, listen, I'm not unique. Everybody has gone through a lot of stuff. Okay. But it's what I learned and I put it in this kind of practical, you can do it without spending any money tools. I think a lot of the things that we need, at least I need is here, try this. It's going to make you feel better. And it's not going to add a lot of stress to your life. And I talk a lot about, relationships. And, and I'm very honest about the point of my marriage and in that and my children and my friendships. And I think a lot of people that are going through a hard time might be able to, it might be able to resonate with them and they won't feel alone. I felt so alone at that time. I didn't feel like I could find something to read that really got me. And this gets you. You'll get it. I, I mean, a lot of the feedback that I get from patients and people that read it that are not patients say, you know, um, everybody needs a Joe holding their hand. And I'm like, oh, that's sweet. And then that's how that's how the book. That's how I that's what I needed and I couldn't find. So that's what I'm hoping this will be for others that also need it to. Mm-hmm. And it's quick. It's a quick it's a quick read. I, we cut it down because I was the nature of who might be reading it you don't have a lot of time to sit and like read a whole novel and it's a snapshot in time and you know, it would get you through any hard time.
0: And what made you have that realization that I have work to do on myself before I go to the surgery table? Like, did you just know that or like what sparked that realization in you?
1: I knew that everything, all the tools, your questions are so good. All the tools that had gotten me that far had also gotten me sick. So if I use the same tools to heal, how is that going to work? Yeah, they could go in and they could cut out the cancer. And that's what they do better than I think. Like I'm so blessed to be where I am for so many reasons. But one of them is because I'm so close to Mass General Hospital and I had access to these incredible doctors and and all the doctors around the world that sacrifice like their time and their life to help others heal is, is incredible, but that is only one piece of it. I knew that everything that I had done, if I was going to continue, it's the same thing. If you always do what you've done, you're always going to get what you've got. Right. And I was like, okay, they might be able to cut it out, but how am I really going to, what is this trying to teach me? And I sat with the cancer for 10 weeks, which is very rare. And, and it's rare for me because like, if you knew me before, or even now, like if I want to get something done, I get it done. Like what I wanted you, uh, you know, I wanted to shoot with you for my YouTube channel. And what I do, I reach right out to you and I'm like, boom, we got a date, but boom, 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 We did it. I'm a doer and I was not a doer there. I thought I'm going to miss the lesson. And of course I was very privileged to be able to live with a cancer for that long because it was a very slow growing cancer. And so I understand that there are people that will listen to this, who you know people or women that have listened to this, that they, they get the diagnosis, they're in the OR the next day or they're in chemo the next day. So there is not one second that I am not on my knees thankful that I was not in that situation, okay? That I could take the time. So I also saw the time as like, I had to go through it and not miss the lesson. Of course, now me talking about it you know, a year and a half later, I have this different perspective, right? Almost two years later, no, a year and a half later. Yeah. Well, a little over a year and a half later, but then I was like, wow, this sucks so bad. And I just want to, but I, I sat with it for a while and I knew that I had been so disjointed and I was running and doing all these things. And I don't mean physically running. I mean, running from one thing to the next and always trying to achieve and always doing this and always doing that. And I thought, I can't get, I can't heal from cancer this way because this is part of what got me where I am. So I need to really, really listen here. And if I need to listen, there's something that I haven't heard. There's some lesson that keeps coming at me that I have not paid attention to. And what is it trying to teach me? And this is obviously reflective talk right now, Mm. but during, but there were so many dark moments. And because it was 70 days, okay there were 70 times I had to get up. And it's not like all of a sudden, then you have the surgery and the cancer is gone and you have this reconstruction and all this stuff. And then, and then it's all like, oh, okay. Yeah. No, it's, it's much, it's much like the pandemic. There's life before and there's life after. They're not good or bad. They're just different. And there's life before cancer. And then there's life after. And it's almost like a, not almost, but it's, been kind of a metamorphosis for me of a complete transformation. And I don't think that I would be, it's almost like the cancer would have been wasted on me if that's even a thing, okay? If I had just gone through it the same way I had gone through everything else, I knew I had to wake up, like really, really wake up to myself. I didn't know I was doing that at the time. I was subconsciously maybe doing it. but there were parts of me, you know, it would be different day by day, but I knew enough to not push. And it taught me like the art of allowing and the art of really taking things and being aware of what is happening and not kind of pushing through something, but letting things happen in the time that they're supposed to happen. And if they hadn't happened that way, I wouldn't be, the the, the writing of the book, Got you know by na- by nature was one piece, but it ended up changing my entire life and career. Not because of the book, but because it led to a you know one of these speaking engagements that I that I had at a in a corporate level that had a twenty something that asked me to mentor her. That led to this group, this OG squad for research for my next book. That launched the YouTube channel that that, 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 and all of these things that we're doing, you know, that I'm doing that never would have happened, but it is being, paying attention to what's coming your way and what's really for you and really staying in alignment with why I do things. And, and there's not a day since my cancer that I am not aware of how very lucky I am to be alive. And I think that that's what changed. I definitely took being alive for granted, even with the loss of a parent, even with the, I understood mortality at the age of 16. It wasn't like shock and awe, but I, every day I wake up. It's not that it's not that it goes away. You don't think about it. You think about it. It's some days it's harder, but then there's this new type of gratitude that comes with just being alive. So I say, why not have the gratitude now? This is what I'm to say. Let's start now. Don't wait. Don't wait. I
0: have a couple final questions for you. One of them is, what's something you're really excited about right now?
1: I am super excited to launch, create and launch a new offering to create a community for 20 somethings, like something that I am making just for them, just for you guys that is really going to move the needle that is going to be part of a big movement towards just being better in yourself which will ultimately make your life better and the world better i genuinely want to help people have a better journey and i know there are bumps in the road and i know that there are things that are inevitable and we don't know what's going to happen but I know I can help people have a better experience because that's what my purpose is here. And you know to help them that way and then create this connection and community to help people and connect people. So that's what I'm super excited about right now. And one of my daughters is graduating from high school in a, in a few days and she's off to college and she's really happy and excited. And that makes me, it makes me happy to see a woman I have raised launch into the world with these big hopes and dreams and being true to herself and another one that I have on the launching pad ready to go as well who's applying to college next year just figuring out who she is and and what she wants out of her life it's a beautiful thing to watch yeah so that brings me that that's what I'm super excited about
0: and if you were to go back in time and I love I love this I love this <laughs> And you're going to go and you're going to sit down on the table. You're sitting at the table and you're staring at 20 year old Joe and you're smiling at her and you're looking over at her. It's up to you. You can talk to her. You cannot talk to her. What would you want to do in that moment? And what would you want to tell her?
1: I'm crying. I'm like, it's just, I would say, Joe, you are enough the way you are. You are just enough, just the way you are. And don't you ever second guess that. And you are loved and you are worth it. And you are so beautiful on the inside. Just keep looking on the inside because you are enough. Mm -hmm. And I'm crying.
0: (laughs) So I'm so surprised because that's like the question. Like I ask all these questions that like, that's the question where people start crying.
1: I'm always surprised at that. Well, of course, don't be surprised. It's just nobody ever asks you that. They say, "What do you wish you knew? What do you wish you did differently? What do you wish?" But going back and talking to yourself as a 20 year old—I mean, I'm I'm still crying. It's a beautiful question. Don't stop asking it, Sophie.
0: I'm not. Don't stop asking.
1: You you bring such a light. It's so beautiful. I, I tell my own daughters these things all the time. So it's good to tell yourself and to tell my 20-year-old self, well, she thanks you too.
0: Well, thank you so much for doing this today.
1: I am so, I was so happy to do it. I always enjoy our time together and I know we'll be spending some other time together soon. I am absolutely sure of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And where can, where can we connect with you online?
1: Connect with me online at Joanna Chanis, just my name and on Instagram, on uh, Instagram and Facebook. I'm a novice to TikTok, but I don't know. Um, YouTube is about life with Joe. Uh, we have some test episodes up there, but there'll be there's a whole series. There's a whole series one coming um, throughout the summer. We're really excited about that, as well as it'll be re- released in a podcast format as well eventually. And joannachanis.com is coming with some really fun. I know we were talking about some fun brunch activities Mm -hmm. and things of the sort, which I'll pick your brain about, but add Joanna Chanis, And as you know, I answer my own DMs. So please reach out to me. I, even if people have questions, please, I'd love to help. So thank you
0: guys so much for listening. I love if you can leave me a review on iTunes, please feel free to share it with any friends you think the story would resonate with. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.